think that one of the things that's true about me, just as a person, is that I could have been a great monastic. Hello, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi, welcoming you to this episode of the Deep South Dharma podcast. The voice you just heard was that of my friend and co-founder, Jaya Judy Seeley. In this episode, I'll be sharing with you a conversation she and I had just a few days ago, where I got to learn more about her background and the decision she and her husband made a couple of years ago to retire to Batesville, Mississippi, where they could more fully express their lives as lay supporters of the Magnolia Grove Monastery community. In this episode, you hear a couple of Dharma sisters getting to know each other better. You'll hear how the Dharma often helps people get to know their own spiritual traditions better. And you'll hear our wish to know you, our listeners, better. Wherever you hear this podcast, from whatever platform or wherever in the world, we invite you to share your comments, questions, or topics of interest on our page at anchor.fm slash deepsouthdharma. This week, I'm keeping announcements short because I want you to get into this conversation. I'll just say if you want to know about our weekly offerings online or in Oxford, or if you want to take a look at our upcoming retreat opportunities, go to our website at deepsouthdharma.org. And then if you want updates from there, just subscribe. For now, enjoy this conversation with Jaya Judy Seeley. Welcome home. started coming down here like I guess about nine years ago now and these people here just started feeling like family to me mm-hmm. and you know Sister Joy would say every time I come welcome home mm-hmm. even my family had never said welcome home mm-hmm. you know those words just those particular words right. you know and I always felt psychologically safe which I didn't feel in my family. Mm-hmm. I always felt like there wasn't a lot of competition, which in Nashville I think is a very competitive place. Mm-hmm. For independent practitioners or teachers or, you know, I, I do. I feel like it's a very competitive place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, just over the years my practice just was nourished. Mm-hmm. And so Daniel himself has always been kind of led to want to live in community mm-hmm. and has done some of that. Um, so when we got ready to retire, we, we realized that we didn't really have any big connections in, in Nashville, which sounds strange because I have a daughter and I have a mm-hmm. grandson, but we did not share similar spirituality. Mm-hmm. And spirituality was central to my life and to Daniel's life. Mm-hmm. So we started saying, okay, well maybe we should move to where my mother lives because she needs help, or maybe we should move to, to you know, this place or that place. And then every time we would say, 
Look how long it took us to get to the monastery. Mm -hmm. So really we said, okay, well, let's just move by the monastery, and then we can have that all the time. If we want to travel and go somewhere, we'll travel from there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was basically how it came about for us. And I think that, you know, it was just a reasonable, logical decision. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we'll stay here forever. Um, not that I think today that we'd be leaving. I'm just saying, I don't know what is life is going to bring. Mm-hmm. But for right now, I'm really fairly content. Mm-hmm. In doing this podcast, what is the theme of the podcast, do you, th- do you feel like is the theme? I think of it as varying. I think of it as a way that people can access the support of this particular this particular sangha, little s sangha, mm-hmm. um, you know, on their own schedule, whether they're near or far, you know, that sort of thing. So whether it's, whether they get on there and scroll to find a meditation to listen to or a talk, or if they want to hear a conversation, mm-hmm. you know, for, to have some of that on there so that they can find that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's mainly... It's not that we're limited to one topic or one theme. I guess to me, the theme is more who it's for. You know, we have somebody, and you know, it may just, for all I know, it could be hackers or people that are with other motives or reasons, but on the little thing that that tells you where people are listening from, I should show it to you, actually. It's quite a number of states, Um, but somebody in, in Japan somebody in Tel Aviv, somebody, and I, I, my assumption, my non-paranoid assumption is, you know, maybe it's American living abroad, maybe somebody that just, I, you know, yeah, and that wants to feel connected, um, you know, to culture somehow that they're familiar with, if maybe they happen to originally be from the South. I really don't know. Um, Working in treatment centers and working with people, you know, who are overcoming addiction and all of that, as I get to know some of these people and some of them over the most sensitive people and particularly most spiritually sensitive people there are, I just always feel like, you know, if if these people even knew that a monastic life, that a sangha life was possible, that may have offered them some other alternatives than the way right. they went. Right. That there there really are there are really are other ways to live than the way that our mainstream right. culture lives. Yeah. So deep inside of me there's a place that gives me there's a thought that gives me great comfort and that thought is anytime I want to, I can go sit in that Dharma hall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where many people have practiced mm-hmm. and where it's quiet and expansive. And I know I can be nurtured. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a treasure. Yeah. It's just a treasure. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I'm really struck by what a blessing it is to know yourself, to know oneself well enough to know what you want, what you really want. Mm-hmm. 
um, out of life. It is, you know, I, I, th I think that is a blessing to know. And I think that also it's a blessing to be able to realize that when you're living in a certain place or you're in a certain circumstance and it's not working mm -hmm. to realize that mm -hmm. and to choose something that will work right. uh, instead of being stuck in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that about thinking, feeling like you would have been a good monastic because you know, I remember when I was 18, no, I wasn't that young, I was 20, because because I was doing a particular internship, so that was my junior year. And uh, I remember saying to the, cha I was doing an internship at a hospital, mm -hmm. and the chaplain of the hospital was the person who managed the students, and I said something to him about, um, you know, feeling like, you know, that, that really in life I would like to really what I would like to be as a nun but I can't do that because right. I'm not Catholic and because I had resentment toward the Catholics because they didn't consider my grandmother legitimate right? right because she was born of her father's second marriage so I I was I sort of felt like that wasn't an option for me you right. know she was the best person I ever knew so you know uh, I would have felt disloyal and you know and he was he was a you know, a, a, I think he was Methodist, a Methodist chaplain, it might not have occurred to him to say, well, you know, there's other kinds of nuns in the world <laughs> besides Catholic. But, um, but I sometimes think that, that, you know, if that, if I had grown up in a, um, in a culture where that was an option, mm -hmm. uh, I can easily see where that would have been. I think my life's work would still have involved somehow, um, uh, tending to children, because I also knew from a young age that I wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I do sometimes wonder, you know, I don't, I, we haven't really discussed, you know, I, I don't know what your thoughts or feelings or experience or beliefs are around, um, you know, sort of the rebirth or recycling of consciousness or whatever, but, but sometimes I think, well, you know, if, if this consciousness that I've inherited, you know, uh, Maybe maybe it does go on, and at a later point, maybe that is mm -hmm. you know maybe that maybe that will become um, uh, something later. You know where um, one of my favorite books is the book, uh, just an anthology of different nuns, different traditions telling their stories, and a number <laughs> of them speak of feeling um, feeling fortunate to have been born in a place where that was presented as an option to them. Right, right. Um, and, and I feel, because um, I, I, you know, I'm very happy with the life I ended up with, but I feel very fortunate. Um, I mean, I know it, it's fortunate to be born into a human body, fortunate to come in contact with the Dharma, and I really feel that particularly having grown up in the part of the world I grew up in, um, to to be at a time where the Dharma has reached this far, right? To have even come in contact with it, right? Um, when I was younger, I saw a movie, The Nun Story. Mm. Have you ever seen that movie? I don't think so. It changed my life. It changed my life. It changed the way I thought. 
it gave me a different view of what a woman's role could be. Mm. Um, and, and because I was very, very um, in, you know, church oriented, uh -huh. it was like, it just seems like the perfect vocation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just the perfect. Yeah. That I, yeah. And I, I kind of, in a way, resented that I couldn't do that mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I grew up Baptist, not Catholic. And where I grew up, I mean, I, when I grew up, I was, they were very close-minded about Catholicism and, you know, well, they pray to Mary. You know, you hear all those things when you're a kid and, you you, you know, you kind of back up. Yeah. You're not really, sh you, you, you don't have enough knowledge to go forward with anything yeah. in that discussion usually. Um, so it never really was an option, mm -hmm. but then I wanted to be a missionary mm. and that was something really big. And very Baptist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just, so, because it was Southern Missionary Baptist yeah. Church, oh, you know, okay. that I yeah, kept, yeah. Yes. So I, I wanted to be a miss, missionary. And the other thing that was fascinating to me was healing. Mm -hmm. Why couldn't we heal? Mm -hmm. Why can't people heal? Right. Jesus said, told us that we could do those things too. Mm -hmm. Why can't we? Mm -hmm. Where, where's the missing link? Right. You know, so maybe this is why I became a massage therapist and energy worker. Uh -huh. You know, so carrying, I, you know, the mission was to me in that work was to love others. Mm-hmm. To touch others and to love others, mm -hmm. and and I've seen healing occur, you know. And Buddhism is what really I think one of the things that really struck me about Buddhism was that the Buddha had one thing in mind mm -hmm. to teach us how to overcome suffering. Mm -hmm. That's healing. Mm -hmm. And so that just wrapped around my heart. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, that, that made so much sense to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I knew it wasn't just the body, I also knew it was the mind. Right, right. And so it, I remember years ago, it's been a while since I've been there, but in Nashville I used to go to the estuary sometimes yeah, yeah. for various things. And I remember a student working on me one time and... and she was, you know, a student from the Nazarene College there and talking about um, the energy work that she was doing with people and and how uh, how at first her family had sort of a, felt almost a sense of suspicion around it. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, but it, but it was helpful for her to just be able to kind of tap into her own tradition that they were familiar with uh -huh. and to just say, you know, Daddy, this is just a laying on of hands. This is, you know, what I'm doing is actually very biblical. Right. Um, and, and she said, you know, that it, that, that it helped, you know, that it helped her family go. You know, I do, I think, I don't know, kind of thinking along the themes of how somebody growing up in the South, you know, when you're growing spiritually, how, how, how people navigate that with, families that maybe come from particular traditions and part I think part of it is just exactly what that young woman did was refer 
to that tradition instead of getting into to some sort of argument right. between traditions. <clears throat> um, it is like the healing of the hands, and I've used that quite a bit when I first started my practice, and people would ask me about like that, and I would say, well, it's like healing, like the laying on the hands, and yeah, it's just very simple practice, very prayerful. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I would say it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had read books by healers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read a lot of these books in the seventies and the late seventies. They were just as rare as hen's teeth to find, but you know, you could find them. Yeah. I can't even remember the healers' names down. I don't know why, because they were such important books. But these were Christian healers, mm-hmm. and they weren't like healers that were um, considered uh, mm, s- sketchy or you know uh, right. super paranormal or whatever. Sure. No, these were these were very serious Christian individuals, yeah, and that gave me a format, I think, in reading about them and reading about their work, mm-hmm. about how you really can enter in society and do this type of work mm-hmm. without it being suspect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then my other big question is, why is it suspect anyway? Mm-hmm. Why are we led to believe Mm -hmm. that, well, that was done a long time ago, but now we can't do it. Uh What what happened that we can't do it? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think about that sometimes, and I think about how um, you know, sometimes I wonder if it is part of subjugation of women and the you know and certainly not that women were the only healers but so often women are in those situations of having having developed their intuition having developed their use of healing energy um i mean i think about <laughs> i i and i don't really know what prompted this the other day but i was even thinking about that old television show bewitched you yeah. know and thinking how even as a kid i was like why isn't she allowed to use her powers? You know, just what a powerful message that was, even for a little girl, uh-huh. to see, you know, this woman that her whole, everything that she was trying to do was to keep herself small enough to fit in that marriage. Right. And not and not somehow, um, and of course, of course, because situations would come up, you know, that her powers were needed, and, you know, it would, she would get quote unquote permission to use them, you know. Um, but sometimes I wonder if that's partly if if that's I mean, maybe kind of silly to say that, but but I I do wonder if that's a little taste of sort of what happens sort of in the larger culture. That's an interesting observation, and I, and you saying that opens my mind up to saying yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I dream of Jeannie. Yeah, look at her, look at Jeannie. Uh huh. She stayed home. Right. In the house. Yeah. Cooked all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and she had these superpowers. Right. 
And she had to use her superpowers on the sly. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. But a, a few seconds ago, you talked about women and women healers. I think two. Because one reason is that women are usually the caretakers in the family and the caretakers of the sick, mm-hmm. the elderly, right. the children, the suffering. Yeah. You know, they're usually the ones. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we we get to use those skills mm-hmm. or, or develop those skills mm-hmm. or open ourselves to the experience of experiencing something that yeah. is a little bit different from right. what we're taught yeah about yeah i also think whether male or female or anywhere along that gender line that 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 as we as a culture in general fall further and further from mindfulness Mm -hmm. because though because the exercise of those gifts does require presence and that, and that may be part of it too, just as, that as people are more and more and more in survival mode, mm-hmm. just trying to you know put together three meals a day and pay their rent. Um, so I think that's, that is part of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember <laughs> when I worked um, at the ranch in this trauma treatment center outside of Nashville, it, th- there, there would be these, um, the clients would develop these beliefs that I was psychic. That was not the case. I mean, I may have had moments of some good intuition right, right, that I could right. mirror, but but it was just that I was present, and I and they were would come presenting with certain symptoms or the things they would say that they hadn't even they didn't even remember saying, you know, or that they were so not present that they. And when I would so I would mirror back things to them, you know, and it just felt to them like I was reading their mind, you know. <laughs> so so I think some of it too is that like what is seen as paranormal very often, it's really not. It's really the state of of not having access to healing energy, the state of not having access to our intuition that actually is abnormal. Um, that comes from that lack of presence. I know you're familiar with the term terminal uniqueness. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. And I, and I think when people go to treatment for the first time or they go to the therapist, they think their situation That's is right. unique. But as the therapist, you have heard it all. Yes. You know, yes. so to be able to speak yes. in a confident way about their situation, I could see where... They must be psychic because I'm the only one that's feeling this way. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh-huh. it's... <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's just... I, I think that was one of my biggest lessons in life was learning that um, I'm really no different from anyone else and mm-hmm. how I suffer is no different from anyone else. Yeah. And therefore, it's not hard for me to talk about my suffering mm-hmm. or not hard for me to talk about myself yeah. um, because I'm just no different. Right. <laughs> it's not right. the same. Yeah. yeah. And, and when it really gets down to it, suffering is suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. but I know that there are so many people who feel so guarded, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, about their experiences. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and you know, thinking about the ranch makes me think of this too, is that the, 
the thing I was saying a minute ago about the young woman at the estuary who could refer her parents to the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things, you know, the, my first several years at the ranch before I was a, before I had different roles as a program director and things, I was the contemplative therapist mm-hmm. and, and got to have a fairly well-developed mindfulness program. If somebody was there for several months, they could get a lot of practice under their belt and get exposed to a lot and do some half-day retreats. And I mean, it was really nice. But one of the things that was so gratifying for me is being able to show someone where mindfulness was in their own tradition. We had, you know, we had a, a, a good many people who were Christian, obviously. We had many people who didn't have much spiritual background at all. Mm-hmm. But we had we had people who were Christian. We sometimes had uh, sometimes had people who were Buddhist of different all different kind right. of schools, you know. Um, and we also we also had quite a number of um, uh, Hasidic Jews that would come mm-hmm. uh, for trauma treatment and. Um, um, and I think it was really kind of one person that would end up referring, you know, a lot of these right. folks from various parts of the country. But what was so exciting was to be able to show them where the development of mindfulness was in their own tradition. Um, and particularly for people from Christian traditions to be able, who really have a fear of meditation that like if you open your mind to meditation that you're going to somehow open your mind to all of these dark forces Mm -hmm. and to be able to say look mindfulness is about establishing a guardian at the door of your mind you if you're concerned about all kinds of forces coming in and hijacking you mindfulness is what you want right um and that was really you, because again, it's not helpful to to say, "Oh, well, that's silly," and to you know, because first of all, that's not silly. Uh, many people are there in treatment because they have been hijacked by all kinds of all kinds of powerful sankaras, powerful right. habits, powerful forces, powerful negative beliefs about themselves. You know, and so, but. Um, to be able to show them, I mean, to be able to show people, one of my favorite things to do was to be able to show people the parallel experience of, of Jesus taking his 40 days in the desert and facing the, his waves of temptation and the, the Buddha during his search and went where he finally just sat down and said, all right, we'll figure this out. And going through, and both of them dealing with the negative forces of the mind. And even mm-hmm. though they presented, you know, there's different language around it, both of them in the final analysis or in the final wave of, quote, temptation was basically a challenge from that negative part of the mind that says, well, who do you think you are? Why should you be so special that you get to wake up and suffer less than anybody else? Right. The Buddha had to fight off Mara. Mm-hmm. You know all the temptations, and mm-hmm. I and I think that 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 is a reality. I think for all of us mm-hmm. to look at how our minds work mm-hmm. and how basically an undisciplined mind mm-hmm. can just take you to all places of suffering mm-hmm. because we create mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. You know we have stories in our life. 
from our childhood. You know, right. we have stories about what we think's going to happen in yep. in the future. So, uh, you know, the, we have the great capability of creating these stories. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I was a child, I always heard an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so. Keep your mind on Christ, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, really, we were taught to focus, just keep, you know, because something from external, or maybe even internal, but mostly it was external, uh-huh. was going to take us take over. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. and and that external being or thing was crafty. Uh-huh. You know, so you really had to be vigilant. Right. It's 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 quite it was quite an experience I mm-hmm. think to be able to look at from Christianity the words peace be still mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that just doesn't mean your body yeah. it means yeah. your mind and then they also giving you the opportunity to listen. Mm-hmm. to that small voice within or to listen listen mm-hmm. to as some people would call God or mm-hmm. you know uh, whoever their power higher power is that, uh, of the light um, I wasn't in the Christian tradition taught to pray mm. I was taught to get down on my knees and say the things I wanted. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Or I was taught in church to say the things I wanted for other people. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted them to feel better. Or I wanted them to be able to get their scholarship to college. Right. Or I want... But that was the extent, mm-hmm. somewhat, of my prayer education. Mm-hmm. It was not a giving and receiving it was not asking for a response, yeah. except for an external response for somebody else. But not because, immediate relational right, response. Not immediate relational. Yeah. And to pray for yourself was selfish. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. I didn't learn very much really about prayer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, in the Christian tradition, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I knew that just just in that alone, yeah. that was the foundation of my beliefs. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Everything else, extra. Yeah, was just extra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was a hard thing to overcome some of that stuff, and especially mm-hmm. the thought of selfishness. Mm-hmm. At first, when I started to meditate, even just to take the time to meditate, to me seemed selfish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing this, I should be cooking dinner, right. or I should be doing something to help my neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, that was hard. Mm-hmm. Self-care. Yeah. Learning about self care, learning about self nurturance, mm-hmm. uh, and that it was okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that wasn't a selfish act. Yeah. It wasn't sinful. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it's responsible. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
You know, it's interesting because even though I, <laughs> I told somebody one time, well, I, I was, my family was ethnically Christian, but we didn't practice, right? <laughs> I mean, I grew up in a household that were, was not church going, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and for, you know, up until adulthood, it was, I, I was an adult before I met people who were Christian who actually had spiritual practices other than going to church, you know. Um, or in addition to going to church, maybe I should say. But, but you know, in my immediate family, we didn't go to church. And my immediate family struggled. You know, my mother was an extremely young mother, lot of, um, lot of symptoms mm -hmm. of struggle for her. And as a child, because I grew up in in Alabama, where there was not a lot of separation between church and state, I would hear enough of religion at school that I would think, well, that's the problem. We don't go to church. Mm -hmm. That's the problem, right? And um, and I and I can remember um, having some distress about that. I mean, part of it was a childish distress because, and that's probably all I communicated to the adults in my life. That that sense of you know, everybody else goes. Because literally, there were many years where right. I truly was the only <clears throat> child in my class that didn't go to church. Right. You might have a kid that wasn't even fully dressed for school. You know, fully, right. their hair might not be brushed, but they went to church. Right. You know, so... Um, and there were a lot of children that went with other families to church. Exactly. And my mom had a fear of... You know, she had a fear and that I think may have had some history to it, but uh, of her own, but had a fear of, you know, letting the church bus come by on a Sunday to pick me up for Sunday school. She didn't feel good about letting me go off with other people to church. She wasn't going to go to church herself. It was just a very closed system. Uh -huh. And so, but some of it that I did not have words for or maybe wouldn't have dared to say is I really did have the idea, you know, that, well, maybe if we go to church, I mean, heck, even in the child story, the story Heidi of Heidi, you know, it all culminates with grandfather finally goes to church. Well, you know, you don't realize as a child, that's not as much a story about going to church as it is about him coming out of isolation. Right. And, and, and letting go of his resentment toward the community. Right. But, um, and so when I did get old enough where my mom felt like, felt safe for me to say, go to church with a friend from school. I was like middle school, high school right. age. And, um, and so that, so I was fortunate in that I heard some things differently. And I also, um, so an example of things I heard differently would be, uh, and this is, I'll just give one, but one is <laughs> in the New Testament, there's the part where Paul talks about, um, you know, where the way I hear it is essentially him saying, well, you know, I stay single, so I always think everybody should do what I do, so that's what I recommend, but if you need to get married, that's fine. That's how I hear that. I hear it. I hear it with him saying it with a sense of humor, uh -huh. with a sense of, you know, with a sense of, well, you know, you guys know me. I think everybody has to do everything the way I do it. Right. Right. Because, um, because he came to spirituality late in life, you know, and I just think that for him to have made the, the, the great big turnaround that he made, um, that, 
that he had to have had some sense of humor about himself. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that if I had heard that story all my life growing up and had heard it taught in a certain way, I really might have come to believe that people that chose to be single, chose to go into priesthoods or nunneries or whatever, that they were somehow living, you know, better than the regular, the so-called regular people, you know. Right. Um, but I, But I do remember that sense of, when I did start visiting these churches, mm-hmm. a sense of disappointment because I wasn't hearing or seeing, like, okay, how does this make it better? You know, how mm-hmm. what are the, and I wouldn't have known the word practices, but it was sort of like, okay, what can a person do? And I do remember, you know, trying to do Bible study on my own and, I, you know, it's studying the Sermon on the Mount and things like So I could glean some things from that, but no real mentorship or guidance around that. That brings up the thought to me is that the endless cycle of suffering and the redemption and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's one of the messages that I I got in the church is that you will always be a sinner. Mm -hmm. You will sin. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're doomed to sin. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then after, then what? You have to repent. Mm -hmm. Then what? Mm -hmm. You're doomed to sin again. Mm -hmm. Then what? You have to repent. You know, I never saw a way out of that cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to me, that cycle just seemed like an unhappy life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Just totally unhappy. Yep. You know, why can't I move beyond certain things? For instance, if you know, you look at the Ten Commandments. Why can't I just not steal anything? Mm-hmm. Why can't I just not lie? Mm-hmm. Why can't I just not commit adultery? Mm-hmm. What if I followed all these things? Mm-hmm. You know, what would uh, my sins be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the deeper sins that I would have to repent for? What are right. these things? Right. But God loves me anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all I have to do is repent and believe a certain thing, mm-hmm. and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. To me, that just doesn't, it's not a full plate. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just not a full plate. Yeah. I'm remembering the little pamphlets. I don't know if you had them in your part of the world, but the little, the little pamphlets that my younger aunts that were like my contemporaries or my schoolmates would, you know, the little pamphlets would, that would be the little line drawing of the great divide between you and God, and then a big cross in the middle that was sort of the bridge that you could cross over. Um, and I can just remember that feeling of that I did, I did not feel far from God. That wasn't the problem. Mm-hmm. That you know, that I felt and obviously today knowing how isolated our household with was it's like I felt isolated from other people was the Mm -hmm. issue any people outside of my family but the idea of you know that somehow I'm cut off from God or God was displeased with me that did not feel true to me um and you felt like you had a personal relationship I felt yes I although I was yes I did and it was it was such a personal relationship that I even was was sort of mad at God like mm-hmm. like okay 
all these people are telling me going to church is so important. Why did why did you stick me in a family that doesn't even go to church? You know, it really was this. <laughs> I mean, it was a very childish, you know. But that, but but that was that. So for whatever reason, there was not for me a question that there was something larger to relate to. You know, um, I also, but I I also had a sense from a young age that it wasn't a giant person and everyone around me who was involved and really would speak as if this was a giant person we were relying on and I knew that wasn't it either mm-hmm. um, so it was just it was um, difficult to have sort of this fledgling spiritual awareness but no mentorship around you know around it to help uh, make sense. And I think that's partly why, um, you know, I can't even remember if, if I told you or showed you a copy of the little, uh, a little self-published book I wrote years ago called Accepting Your Resurrection. And I actually, it's some essays on some sort of classic stories out of the New Testament and some reflections on those and just making the very practically applicable for people and I remember someone saying to me like it just feels like you're a, like a good translator for here's something here and here's how this can be practical and applied in your life and I think it's just because that's what I was always looking for uh, I think there's a question too that that children have mm-hmm. when they start to get some some awareness of self, you know, maybe in teenage years or they start to rebel or they're trying to figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. It's like, who, who, what and who is God? Mm-hmm. What is this? Mm-hmm. You know, a, a reasoning or a way to understand or feel comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, with that concept, I right. think, arises. And I think that how people come to what it is what God is or who God is, it's very different mm-hmm. from, you know, I mean, there's different versions. Yeah. There's different versions who can't really say it's a this or that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for myself that sometimes it's been the whole natural world mm-hmm. and the way the natural world falls in place. Mm-hmm. And it's been a mystical type of movement of consciousness Mm -hmm. it's been many different things over the years it's manifested many different things in my mind and you know it 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 does has opened my mind to think about those things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to also now it's very helpful for me to hear people talk uh, especially at, at the Buddhist monastery that have a Christian background, mm-hmm. of how they're coming, you know, to Buddhism and also reconciling some of those other thoughts that they have around mm-hmm. God and uh, universal benevolence and, mm-hmm. you know, different things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm always very curious, yeah. you know. But the, one of the things that I really like about Buddhism is that there's happiness. Yes. <clears throat> Which was one of the things that first struck me about 
the monastery here. Of course, all the children that are in college now mm -hmm. were younger, uh -huh. or those that are in high school were little kids. Yeah. The children were so happy. Uh -huh. I had never been in a church group or yeah. any type of group where families came together where their children were as happy as they were. Mm -hmm. And that spoke to me because I can't say that my own experience of childhood was happy. Right. And in fact, when in growing up, I can remember when I would see happy children, I would have disdain. Mm -hmm. Because I guess that deep-seated unhappiness that mm -hmm. I had. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just, it, it was a horrible feeling. Mm -hmm. So when I started going to the monastery and I was around these children, at first I had those feelings of disdain, and I had to work through that, mm -hmm. you know. And mm -hmm. there was a part of me that actually had to let myself be a child yeah. again. Mm -hmm. I had to go back. Mm -hmm. and be a child mm -hmm. and allow myself to giggle mm -hmm. and allow myself to play and I learned to play with the monastics mm -hmm. which was really wonderful yeah. because they're very very playful uh -huh. and I learned to play with the children yeah. and I learned to have humor mm -hmm. for myself and around myself mm -hmm. so that was extremely healing yeah. for me mm -hmm. just really you know, gave me a whole new childhood. Right. And I've enjoyed that. You know, I've enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. mm. That was beautiful to hear. That makes me think of, you know, I don't know if you would have ever read Alice Miller, who wrote The Drama of the Gifted Child and no. some other things, but she, and, and there's other writers who write about this, but she writes about how when we when we have some um, unattended, unattended childhood pain, that even just the presence of children being children can be so painful, mm -hmm. can trigger such pain. And um, um, that, and you know, it's interesting. I remember some, a similar thing when I was in college working in the, I've worked in the mailroom. One of my work study jobs was working in the mailroom for a couple of years. And um, um, and I had, I had folks who loved me at home, but I didn't have folks who were organized enough to send me a letter every week, you know, right. <laughs> that there was a little too much chaos going on for somebody to think of sending me a postcard, but I would be putting, you know, mail in everybody's box and, and would notice that there were, there were people, a good number of them who they were hearing from somebody at home. Yeah. Every every week mm -hmm. and my way of dealing with that at the time because apparently it brought it brought some feelings mm -hmm. and my way of dealing with that at the time was disdain and I've never found that word for it but that is what it was it was sort of like this whole rationale of like well when these people get out in the real world and see there's not going to be somebody out there to support you well apparently they did have somebody that was going to support them <laughs> You know, but but it was that was how I dealt with that at the time, mm -hmm. you know, and then for years, and I mean, until I was in my 30s and really got to the bottom of this, 
I would have dreams about going to check my mailbox and it being empty. Oh, my. That's one of the few repetitive dreams that I've ever had, but that was one of just, you know, and and um, so, you know, that sense of disdain that we feel, and, and, and I, the reason I elaborate on that, partly because it was a point of connection, but also because I do think that sometimes that's what makes it hard for people to make a transition from a religious understanding that's not working for them to something truer, happier, more joyful because of because of the grief that it triggers mm-hmm. because and and that maybe what comes up is that initial disdain mm-hmm. instead of well let me just look down on this instead mm-hmm. of face how painful this is mm-hmm. um, I do think that that grief can be a big part of that shift for people um, and I've also heard many people say you know they may they may for a while get needs met in a different religious tradition and then they may kind of come back to their original religious tradition and go oh it was here all along I just didn't have anybody that was developed Right. To show me how to access it. Exactly. I know now, even when I'm in a situation where we're singing hymns that I'm familiar with when I was a child, they mean so much more to me now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get tears in my eyes. And I think that, too, what you just said, that missing link of the support of Mm -hmm. teachings. Mm -hmm. The support of the teachings is is when that was gone. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like you just don't have that connection mm-hmm. as much, but then you go to another tradition and you come back and you look at it and you go, oh my gosh. I think I shared with you one time that at the monastery we were had made these little paper votives and putting lights in and we were putting them on the lotus pond oh. to to you know to offer our blessings and our wishes yeah. and whatever. And I just remember seeing the children. This is part of my childhood healing thing. Mm-hmm put their little lights down there, and automatically I started seeing in my head, this little light of mine, yeah. I'm going to let it shine. Uh-huh. You know, and I realized it's all the same. Right. It really is there. Yes. It's just just tapping into it, and mm-hmm. how it takes, you know, what it takes for us to tap into. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, boy, that's beautiful. I love that. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.